Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Welcome, everyone, to episode 102 of the Talking Friars podcast. Ben Fan, your host here today with Kevin Charity of Mad Friars. Kevin, thanks so much for hopping on. We'll get right into it, kind of just talking about the Padres farm system and kind of the future of, you know, the big Padres prospects. Uh, there's been some, you know, viewers that have wanted me to talk some prospects, so you're a perfect guy to do it with. Uh, let's first, yeah, let's first start off with Keith Law's uh, you know, list that he put out today. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday. This will go out probably on a Wednesday. What did you think of the Padres going 15th on that list? I think it's probably about right. I think when you look at the other major publications, um, I know Baseball America kind of had him at the the back end of like the top 20, I think like 19 or 20. Um I don't really follow this every system as closely as I do the Padres system, obviously, otherwise I, I would never have any free time. Um, but I think it's, I think it's accurate. I think what you're seeing is with every publication, ours included and the other national guys, I think do this more as a, as a full-time thing. I think what you've seen is that there's like the, generally the big four, um, which is obviously the Abrams, Hassel, Campisano, and Gore in some type of order. And then after that, it's, everything kind of falls off um, or falls in line, I should say. So, yeah, I think middle of the pack system for what you've seen, you know, middle to like middle end is, is probably accurate based on what I've seen as well. So I, I would yeah. tend to agree with that. I think he's a little bit more bullish than the other some of the other publications are. Yeah, I also think what's interesting about it is with the Padres being, you know, middle of the pack, 15th, you know, you could say, well, they probably should be if they're trying to go win a World Series right now. Um, 
but with that said, the Dodgers are also in that same spot, and they're number one. The Rays are in that spot, and they're in, I think, the top five. So there are different – there's just different opinions, different viewpoints that you could, you know, take away from the list that – so do you – I guess my question is, do you think the Padres should be higher, not based on the farm system that they have, but just Preller, how he's viewed as an evaluator, should they have – I guess, more talent, even after the trades that they've made, because even the Dodgers have traded away their top two prospects and they're still Mm -hmm. sitting at number one. Well, I think, too, the Padres, it's just by volume, the guys they traded. I think when you combine major league and minor league guys, like between 2020 and when the lockout was instituted, they traded, I think, over 40, 40 younger players, something like that, right? And so guys like Taylor Trammell, um, you know, Cal Quantrill wasn't really a prospect, but, you know, guys like that that are really good young players were moved to get other pieces. Now, whether or not you want to say those are the right moves, um, that's obviously up for debate. But I think kind of all things considered, I think like farm systems are cyclical. And I think the Dodgers, yeah, they traded like Tybert Ruiz and they traded, I think, Josiah Gray or the players they moved in the Turner and Scherzer deal. But they have a lot of really good young players too. And the Padres moved at a ton. Yeah. I mean, preferably you would like to see them maybe in a better position um, to, you know, to, to have a, a better system they do, but I think having another draft coming up, um, the international class, you know, hasn't really gotten to the point where that's been evaluated yet and hasn't factored in, but I think all things considered, if you're like middle of the pack farm system, and you like your major league roster, I don't think that's a bad place to be. And I still think they have, enough ammunition so to speak to, to to go out and inquire big league players should they want to but i don't think they're in a bad position by any means i'd be a lot more worried if they were like you know 30 or you know or, or you know 25 to 30 but i think middle of the pack considering everything they've, they've done i think i think you're okay with that mm-hmm. my last episode was on trades if i could do undo one trade that aj's made uh in his tenure as potter's gm which would it be and I picked the Ty France Tramel deal. I didn't like him. If you're going to trade Fran Mill and then you give up on Tramel that early, not even playing a full minor league season, and you give up on Ty France, um, and obviously with the injuries and with Altavia and Nola and Adams hitting every second guy, it seemed like that trade, it could work out, but it just seems like it hasn't. And I, I, I was a big fan of Tramel. Um, I'll ask the same question to you. Which trade would you undo if you had one trade that you could? It's a, it's a really good question. <clears throat> um, I'm inclined to, to pick that trade as well. I think there's a couple that stand out. I think um, at Mad Friars, I was, I was always one of the higher guys, if not the highest guy in Quantrill. And so giving up Quantrill, who's turned into, I know his like secondary stats weren't as promising as what the overall results were last year, but that trade where you gave up, just a ton for essentially one year of Mike Clevenger, who's going to be coming off an injury. That one's tough. Not that I think that was a bad deal at the time. Cause at the time I thought it was, you know, I was, I was super I'm excited about it. And that's, you know, before we knew that, you know, Clevenger was going to, was going to blow out his arm and, and miss all of last year. Um, Cause having two, you know, two years plus of hit of control for, of him would have been fantastic. But yeah, I think when you look at that trade, um, you gave up, it was one of those classic deals where you, I think you traded from your depth where you gave up France. He really had no place to play for the Padres, but it's turned into, I mean, he was like a four, one player last year. Uh, 
and turn it into a, a really solid middle of the order hitter. He's the kind of hitter that they should be trying to add right now when you look at their roster. And then you know, giving up Munoz, who, who was the guy in that deal, I was the most like kind of like, oh man, I, I wish they didn't give him up because I think he's got potential to be a closer. And then you throw in Trammell on top of that. And, and then, you know, Nola's been fine when he's been on the field, but I think that trade, I mean, if it, your, your roster looks a lot different if you have Ty France in the middle of your order. Um, whether it's a DH or at first or wherever you want to do with him or try to play him in left, whatever it is. Um, I, don't, I don't think he's a left fielder, but I mean, you know, looking at his bat, he'd, he'd profile right perfect into that lineup, um, give them, you know, a left, a, a right-handed alternative to Hosmer. And so, yeah, I think that's probably the trade that I didn't do with the Clevenger deal being a, probably a, a fairly distant second. Mm. And even, we haven't even mentioned Luis Torrens, who stayed healthier than Nola. And that's true. That's a really good point. Hit- four times the amount of home runs that, that Nola has hit. Uh, and he's not even been the starter in Seattle. So yeah, yeah. It, there's, there's a lot of trades. Some of the readers on gas night ball, which I write for, they we were talking about the Trey Turner deal, but then I was like, yeah, but they have Tatis now and Cronenworth. So it doesn't make it as bad. Myers was an all-star at one point um, giving up Zach Elflin hurt as well. But so there's a lot of different ways that, you know, different trades, that Preller has made that haven't worked out. There's a out. lot of bad trades. <laughs> yeah. But then there's also some with Tatis and Cronenworth and Grisham and Musgrove right. that, and hopefully Snell and Darvish that have worked out. Um, so I guess it's one of those still kind of wait and sees and one that kind of can update uh, at some point in the future. Um, let's move a little bit to the lockout. Uh, the owner's supposed to meet Tuesday through Thursday this week. The 40-man roster players right now, they can't communicate with their teams. So, like, Mackenzie Gore, Ray Kerr, I believe, Adrian Martinez, Steven Wilson, Eggy Rosario, uh, those guys come to mind for me. All can't be, like, coached up by the new coaching staff right now. Do you view that as, you know, like a big negative, or is that kind of being overblown? I think it's a colossal negative, um, and I don't think it's overblown at all. Maybe for some of the guys on that list. Um, Steven Wilson, to me, is already, like, big week ready, so I don't know how much that's going to impact him. But a guy like Gore, who, you know, at the end of 2019, before the pandemic shut everything down, like, he was hands down the best pitcher in minor league baseball, and it wasn't even close. Every prospect list had a number one prospect pitching-wise in baseball. I don't think that if you can go back to 2019, look at like baseball, America handbook, baseball prospectus, you know, Keith law, who might've been in ESPN, whatever it was consensus. And so then you fast forward, obviously the pandemic year took out a lot last year. I mean, he's, he fell completely out of BAs 100. Um, And so I think having that guy who obviously has some, some is having command issues. They, they did a huge change with his, with his windup, his mechanics, to not have him ready to go at big league camp working with, you know, Ruben Yebla and some of their coordinators, even if it was just on the minor league side where you could like theoretically option him to AAA and let him work with, you know, like uh, I can't remember who the pitching coach is in AAA, like, but like Pete Zamora, who's been in the, in the organization for a long time is really well regarded. And some of the other arms, I think it's a major disadvantage because, you know, you have a guy who essentially, you know, he lost a full year and there's obviously been issues, um, with his performance and everything um, it, it's something I have actually put on Twitter is like, it's like, a, it's a huge major concern of mine because he's like the one guy in their farm system. And you can, you know, obviously can't be sauna too. I think it's not a great thing for him either, but 
for Gore, who this is really a pivotal year. It's his first year where he really um, has a chance to contribute at, at, a, at the big league level. He's on the 40 man roster um, to not have him in camp here in you know, like a week or whatever it would start um, is, is concerning for me. Mm-hmm. It's a huge concern. Now, if spring training doesn't start on time, the minor league camp is still going to happen. So does that mean, mm-hmm. so that means that, like you mentioned, Gore could theoretically be option to AAA, but is there any scenario where that like actually happens and you see no. guys? Uh, no, you see guys on the forty man end up going like unless there's no, they there's no yeah. transactions that can happen right now. That's the thing. Yeah. Unless they change the rules or do something. No, I mean when when you're on the forty man roster, like you're locked out of anything that's um, has to do with this. So like guys, you know, like. Um, Robert Hassel or, you know, CJ Abrams, they're not on the 40 man roster. So minor league camp typically starts, you know, at the beginning of March, um, they start playing games kind of in the middle of March and then they break camp and, the, and their season's supposed to start, I think we're on April 8th. So like all those guys that are not on the 40 man roster can, can do whatever they want in the minor leagues, but there's not a scenario unless like, again, something changes where they can option Gore or option Eggy Rosario or Steven Wilson to triple a. So like what's going to happen is the triple a roster is essentially going to be comprised of probably, I would imagine you're probably going to see a run of minor league free agents, not just the Padres organization, but a lot of organizations, because there's a lot of, you know, obviously if you have a full 40 man roster, that means 14 guys that are on your active 40 men are going to be in the minor leagues because you know, 26 man rosters. So if those guys aren't in there in triple a, then yeah. Um, then you're going to see that. But yeah, I, I wish there was a scenario where there was guys with no big league experience or very little experience where they could go to camp, but that until something, um, something happens on that front, that's not the case. And I think that's a really big disadvantage for a guy like Gore. It's, it's, it's really, a, it's a, maybe I'm overblowing it. I think it's, I think it's massive personally. I and mean, that's my mm-hmm. personal belief, but some may say it's not that big of a deal. Hopefully, you know, I'm sure there's, they, they, obviously there was a lockout coming and they probably have some type of plan that they're on, but I mean, it's almost kind of like we're back in the COVID season where it's kind of a free for all um, where you just kind of um, work on your own and hope that when it's time that you're ready to go. Yeah. And sticking with Gore, what's the latest that you've heard about him? You know, we've heard that his mechanics have gotten better uh, in the fall league. And then there was a little bit of a dip again. What, what, what's the latest on him? Um, I mean, what you saw in the Arizona Fall League was kind of uneven. Like he, his first start, he looked really good. Um, second start, he kind of his mechanics got, from what I've read, I, you know, obviously wasn't there, but um, that they kind of suffered a little bit. And that's been the biggest issue with him is that um, part of what makes him so special or made him so special, um, you know, when he was drafted in the first years of his system, is he's got four pit, you know, four pitches. Three of them could you know, be plus with, with great command. His command, like if you watch him in Elstor in 2019, uh, he would pitch off his fastball, just his command. He could, he could locate it to every part of the plate would get ahead of guys that he'd bury him with one of his off-speed pitches. And he just, that's how he pitched. I mean, a lot of times in Elsinore, when you saw him, he only had two pitches working, but it was his fastball and one of the, one of the off-speed pitches. And so obviously when you, when you lose the ability to command the fastball, now you're in triple a where you're against guys with big, big league experience or guys that have been in the pros for, uh, multiple years and are still really, really good players. You know, they're not, maybe they're not big leagues, big league players, but they're still really good players. I think um, the inability where he would just miss a spots. And, you know, what I saw from him, at least in his first couple of starts is he'd miss up a lot in the zone. Um, so I'm not 
sharp enough to really break it down. And, and so you can see all the changes in those mechanics um, as what caused that. But they try to smooth out his delivery. They try to make it a little bit less chaotic because his, you know, his, his delivery is really complex. And I think the fear with it is that when he got older in age, it'd be hard to repeat because it is such an athletic ability but, or an athletic windup. Um, but from what we've seen, it was kind of uneven. But I think Keith Law made a point in his chat today, and it's kind of the same point I have, is his stuff isn't diminished. Um, his ability to throw strikes has. And so if you still like the stuff, you still see a left-handed pitcher that can touch 96, 97, sit 93 to 95 with a plus breaking, you know, plus curveball, plus changeup. You still see all the components for a really good pitcher. And so there just, I guess no new, there's really no news on him. But I think what I'm hoping for is that whenever spring training starts or whenever he can get in there, which hopefully, I mean, there's a season, um, <laughs> I have no idea what to expect that he can get in there and be, um, a really good option for the Padres at some point, because as you saw last year, you can never have too many starters and they're going to need 10, 11, 12 guys to get to the season. And he's going to need to be a big part of that. What's at some point for you? Like it, cause it's really weird. Like, because like you mentioned the ups, the downs for him, you just don't really know what we're going to see. You know, he hasn't worked with Ruben Niebla much, you know, because of the lockout or any coach for that matter because he's on the 40 man. I mean, it's just hard to imagine that he's on the big league roster in the first half of the year. Yeah. I mean, let's just, let's just assume they get everything worked out and they're able to start the season on time. Um, I don't think there's a scenario, especially with what you saw that what they, what they brought in um, depth wise, what they have coming back from injury. I mean, your rotation right now is pretty much set. I would think with, with Darvish, Snell, Clevenger, um, you know, and some of the other guys they have, um, and then you have like depth options. You don't know what you're going to get with Lamette. And they signed Nick Mart or they were in agreement with Nick Martinez. Even though it was not official. You still have Weathers. I think all those guys you, you put ahead on the depth chart of Gore. I mean, Gore, even Adrian Martinez with El Paso, who was with El Paso last year might be higher than him on the depth chart. So you're looking at a guy who maybe in your best case scenario is maybe your ninth or 10th best starting option. But, you know, while that sounds like kind of discouraging for him, you're going to probably need that guy. You look at some of the guys that started before the Padres down the stretch, you know, Jake Arrieta, you know, Vince, Vincent Velasquez, a few other guys. Um, you don't know what you're going to need. It's kind of like the, the I, I kind of equated it to the Padres being one of those teams that has to start like their, their fifth string quarterback, the guy they had to sign off the scrap heap, you know, like Josh, John, the Josh Johnson rule, um, who he always seems to end up starting for some NFL team because injuries happen. Um, he's kind of in that, in that depth piece world, but I, I still think, I still feel like he, he's going to be a good big league pitcher. Um, my, I, I would have bet that he, he turns into a frontline starter two years ago. I'm probably not as bullish, but yeah, I, I think he's still very important to the future of this team. And, you know, if you look at the Padres system right now, they don't really have, in my opinion, with maybe the exception of like Susana, who they just signed, they don't have anybody, a prospect in their system that projects to be a top of the rotation arm. In my opinion, they have a bunch of guys that are really good that maybe are like mid rotation guys. But if you want to go where you, where the, the Padres want to go and you want to have this window stay open for a while, you're going to need him. And I, I still, I'm still optimistic, but yeah, obviously uh, my concern level was like zero in 2019. And now it's pretty high. Yeah. And I think and it's, it makes sense to be. Yeah. I mentioned Ruben Niebla a little earlier. I'm curious to get your thoughts on what 
really like what how much influence can Ruben have on Gore? I, I don't know. That remains to be seen. I think the good news is what, what you've seen is that every, when, when he got hired away from Cleveland, there was a lot of people inside baseball and inside the organization that were really disappointed by that. And you look at Cleveland's been on a pretty good run of been able to develop starting pitchers, you know, Shane Bieber, um, you know, Quantrill like look like a, a new pitcher. Um, and after that acquisition, they've always been able to kind of piece together a really good rotation despite not having a lot of resources, i.e. payroll. And so I think when you look around baseball and see what the reaction is, the, the Padres hiring him, it was universally positive. Um, I didn't see anything negative. Um, I think it's maybe overblown that people are expecting him to be like the savior and he's going to turn Mackenzie Gore into Clayton Kershaw. I think that's a little bit crazy. Um, but I think he could definitely help out. I mean, for whatever reason, last year, things didn't jive on. Again, I don't know if it's a coaching thing. If, you know, there's been questions about their PD, and obviously the Padres had those questions because they made a lot of changes in the player development, um, you know, with, with getting a new farm director and, and changing out coordinators and stuff. But I, I definitely think it, it's a huge positive. And, yeah, you want that guy who's helped develop a lot of really good big league pitchers to work with a guy that you feel like is your best prospect your best you know your best young pitcher and so yeah I was really looking forward to that dynamic of seeing him come out this spring and just kind of looking like the gore of old and again having that guy in your system and having that guy ready to start big league games would be massive but I, I think I, I think it would, it would be a positive impact but I think for people that think that Niebla was going to come in and be a savior or something so that effect is, is a little I was a little premature, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to at some point him getting to work with a new staff, maybe teach him some different things, maybe clean up a few things. Um, you know, but I think sometimes, uh, you know, when we look at things, everybody always goes to the extreme. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. Like I think he's going to have a positive effect. Though. Yeah. Now CJ Abrams, obviously he had the MCL injury, unfortunately mm-hmm. last year, he's going to be full go for, minor league camp mm-hmm. that's that's what we've heard i think everything he's got a clear bill of health and so the expectation is whenever they start up i don't, I don't know the exact date when they report beginning of march that he will be he'll be full board ready to go and um ready to uh you know to, to kind of resume his career and they're still are they still playing him as a shortstop middle infielder and just seeing how the you know hosmer situation pans out before they try him in the outfield yeah, I mean, he mostly played shortstop when he did play um, in San Antonio last year. He he played second a little bit. Um, obviously, if you believe that Tatis is the long term at short, which he, I mean, he's got thir- thirteen years left on his deal, and he does he's made it clear he wants to be a shortstop. There's obviously not really a, a room for CJ to play short. Um, you know, aside from maybe giving you know Tatis a rest here and there and letting him DH, assuming there's as a DH. But yeah, he's probably going to be second base. Um, he hasn't played outside of, of of the infield yet. There obviously there are a lot of talks about it because given his 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 athleticism and his speed and uh, his instincts, he probably would adapt really well to like center field. But as of right now, I, I would think that when the season opens up, um, he's probably your second baseman in San Antonio. Would be my, would be my guess. And how fast do you think he could move up the system this year? Like, do you see a September situation or before that? Assuming he's healthy, I, I think that's plausible. I think 
the thing with CJ that kind of really stinks is that, you know, he was drafted in 19, got his at-bats in the, in the AZL, um, got hurt at the end of the season and, and kind of missed his cameo with Fort Wayne. Pandemic happens, and then last year happens. So he's only amassed about 350 or so plate appearances. And so, you know, you want to kind of see him get a full year of at-bats. But assuming he goes to, you know, and my 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 assumption is he starts in double A, but I mean, I, I wouldn't be a shock to see him go to triple A. I like to see him get like 400, 450 plate appearances, which would obviously put him in line with September. Um, I think that's definitely plausible. I don't think he's ready to contribute to the big league team yet, just because he just needs to get more at bats, but he's a guy, he's my number one prospect in the system. He's got elite, you know, bat to ball skills, his, his athleticism, his speed, all that. He's got everything you want. I think he's going to hit for a little bit of power. Um, I don't think he's going to turn into like Ken Griffey Jr. or, you know, Nelson Cruz or anything like that. But I think he's a guy that could hit 15, 20 homers a year with his speed, with his ability to get on base. I mean, that's a, that's a special player. And yeah, I think and they, 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 yes. they look at him like that too. So, yeah, same, um, same thing about Hassel. Um, where do you see him ending up? I know that there's been, you know, some trade, Padres Twitter talks about, do you attach Hassel to a Hosmer deal? But let's just focus on, let's, he stays in the Padres organization, assuming that. Do you see him kind of being slightly behind Abrams in the track uh, up the minor league system? Yeah, I mean, he was drafted the year after CJ, right. obviously. So, I, yeah, I think last year was went, honestly, about as well as it could go. He went to Elsinore. Um, got off to a little bit of a slow start, but like in May, he was he was really good. And by like July or August, when I think he was promoted the last day of of Jul- or the last day of August. Um, I believe that's correct. And by like July, August, it was clear um, that you were watching a guy that was too good for that level. I mean, his strikeout rates were almost like non-existent. He was getting on base at a 500 clip, um, and he went to Fort Wayne in, in the second or third game that he was there. He hit three home runs in a game. Um, didn't really perform much outside of that, you know, struggled a little bit, which is to not really be, you know, it's not surprising because that was his first full professional season and, you know, he was at the high level, but um, yeah, I I think he's very similar to to Abrams in which I think they're both going to be guys that hit for high average, high on base with, you know, probably not like elite level power. But the thing with Hassel that I really liked is um, this guy plays an awesome center field. He's got a really good arm. And if you watch Hassel, especially where, when he was with Elsinore, is he rarely goes outside of the strike zone to swing at pitches. I mean, his um, – I know the Padres have worked really hard and have emphasized plate discipline and chase rates. And so um, when he would strike out, um, it would be a lot of like pitches he was looking at because he was not going to chase and, and go outside the zone. I think that that having that recognition where I, what I would say is better, better than average. It's pretty elite. Um, having that um, for a guy, his age is, is really, is really, um, really special. And I think he's got a chance to be um, a really, really big part of this Padres future. And I, I'm very high on him. Obviously I think Abram's a little bit closer. Um, I think a- Abram probably has a little bit better tool set, but, Honestly, for me, like I put um, Gore as number, or I'm sorry, I put a, Abrams as one, Hassel as two in my list. I don't think the gap is that that wide at all. 
that's good news for Padres fans then, it, you know, based on projections of, you know, what Abrams and Hassler are, you know, supposed to do. Now, Mike Schilt was hired, uh, player development role, and he's kind of working with the commissioner's office as well. So I'm not so sure how consistent he's going to, you know, be around the team. But what do you think he – do you have anything on his timeline, his schedule for the Padres and what he could, you know, bring I, if it's on the minor yeah. league side or if it's on the player development side for a big league club in spring training? Like, what do you think he'd bring? I mean, I don't know specifically what his role entails. Um, that really hasn't really been made um, – super public that I'm aware of. Um, but I think having a guy in the organization that came from the Cardinals um, and, you know, he, he, you look at what happened last year with them. I mean, he helped them get on that run and it was kind of, I mean, they more or less ended the Padres season with that three game sweep in St. Louis in September. And he, he's been a winning manager. Um, I know that the, the part that would concern me a little bit with him is kind of like the, his, his poo pooing on, on analytics a little bit. I think you heard some of that talk last year. I don't know how much of a big deal that is, but I mean, the Padres, you know, with Preller haven't been an overly analytic um, front office anyway. I mean, that's been obviously been publicized, but I I think anytime you can add a guy with his pedigree to, um, to your system and have him have any, any imprint in whether it's a big league roster or the farm system, I think it's a really solid positive. And I think, that was one of the things I saw when they announced their staff a couple of weeks ago was just seeing him on there. I think that was a really, really good move for a guy that, you know, I believe at one time was the candidate for their manager job. And I think we'll probably get a manager opportunity again, be it next year or, or in the future. So yeah, it's a, it's a great, a, a great thing for the organization, in my opinion. Yeah. Last one here. Uh, can you give me a little bit on this past year's, or this year's international signing class. Uh, obviously, the Susanna kid, uh, mm-hmm. and then you got one from Cuba, from Mexico, obviously signed more guys. It seemed like a pretty, obviously, you know, high upside type class. What can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I, I know that Susanna, to me, is is the prize. Um, it, it's kind of funny because it was really it seemed like it was really light on pitchers this year. I think that most of the publications had – um, Susana as the number one arm where there was like 30 position players that were um, ranked ahead of him. So, I mean, it's obviously a position heavy class, but to come away with a, a pitcher um, like him that has the ability to potentially throw four pitches. And obviously it's really difficult to project a 16 year old to what they're going to be in five, six, seven years, whatever it being, but getting him into the system and they don't really have, I mean, they have, when you look at like their top 30, at least, you know, my top 30 is they have um, guys like Ethan Elliott, um, Robert Gasser, um, you know, Adrian Martinez, and even like Moises Lugo, who was in Fort Wayne last year. They're pretty good arms, but don't really project to be top of the rotation. They're going to be salt, your solid, maybe your threes or your fours. So to add a guy that, you know, again, we don't know what we're going to get. He can, he may be Idis Portillo who they signed, I want to say like 12 or 13 years ago that they gave a big bonus to at the time was the biggest bonus in club history. Um, and he never got above high A and you don't know what you're going to get with, with a lot of international guys, but a guy that is already thrown 96, 97 as a 17 year old that, you know, has the ability to touch a hundred with wipeout breaking stuff. And they're talking, this guy could have four plus pitches. I think that for me was the biggest win because they don't have a guy like that in the system. I think the other, the, the Cuban uh, kid, I guess his name, 
escapes me at the moment, but um, both those guys have really are like hit first prospects that both had tools. I know he's projected to stay, um, you know, probably like second base or third base or maybe move to left. Um, you know, the rest of the guys, I know they signed a kid out of the Bahamas um, uh, that has really good athleticism. So I think getting, you know, the Padres approach after 2016, at least the last three classes where they could spend and not have a cap um, in terms of uh, the amount they can give every player. Obviously there's a hard cap in it now, but they really try to spread it around. Whereas you seem like the Yankees go big for like Jason Dominguez and the, the nationals did that. The Padres approach has been able to spread it around a little bit more, bringing guys like uh Picadio and Victor Acosta last year. But I think for this class, it's, it's really exciting to get a guy like Susana. Um, I don't know. Again, it's, it's really difficult to project these guys, but I think when anytime you can add those guys, I think Susana, if everything goes right, could be a top 10 prospect in the system next year. Um, and, and have that front line for um, that front line projection. Um, and that, that was to me the, by far the most exciting addition to their system. Yeah. All right. This has been fun. Episode 102 of the talking fires podcast. You can check out Kevin charity, mad friars, Ben Fadden, the host here. Thanks so much for doing this, Kevin. Yeah. I appreciate your time, man. Thanks. All right. Until next time, everyone, let's go Padres and stay safe.